This is the absurd journey of three church planners reintroducing familiar ideas in unfamiliar ways. This is the Bless Up Podcast. All right, welcome back. This is the Bless Up Podcast. It's uh, it's Rachel and James in here today. We don't have Corey with us, but we have a very special guest who I'm so excited to have here. Yes, we have sir. The one and only Mr. Breakfast himself, Rob Browning. Rob. <laughs> hey. the, the bacon master himself. Thanks for having me. Longtime listener, first time podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, uh, Rob is a fantastic breakfast connoisseur. Um, he makes thousands of different kinds of foods, specifically waffles. Yes, thousands. Thousands, huh? Thousands. thousands. Listen, it feels like thousands. I walked into his house one time and he had set up like the dream charcuterie board. And I do not say that lightly because I love charcuterie boards. He made a breakfast charcuterie. So he had like fried eggs and waffles and fruit and hash browns and I don't even like anything that you have ever had for breakfast and then some things you haven't even ever thought of because then you have like watermelon hot sauce or something. Yeah. Is that what? Yeah. 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 So fire. He is literally the king of breakfast. <laughs> uh, but we didn't bring him on here to talk about breakfast. Hey, this man, this All right. Man. Well, I'll see you later. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We, we still often talk about how we almost stay longer on the last day of the retreat to just eat more food. Oh, wow. We were like, we should just, like, we were like an hour headed back north from Cincy, and we were like, you know what? We should, like, we should have eaten more bacon. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a consensus, too. We all agree, like, yeah, we should probably have stayed and eaten more bacon. I mean, I feel like that's just a general consensus all the time. <laughs> listen, listen, all bacon's not created equal, bro. That's true. It's some some trifling bacon out there, bro. That's <laughs> my bacon. I don't make very good bacon. D. Lou had to teach me how to make bacon. Shout out, Reverend Lewis, my guy. What What did he say? No, I'm curious. Um. Okay. <laughs> of course you are. So he had me. He had me line a pan with foil, and then bake it in the oven. And then I actually started dumping out the bacon grease one time, and Rev stopped me. And was like, no, no, first lady. And he was like, you save that and you pour that in your greens. And I was like, oh, because I was making greens at the same time. We had like mac and cheese and then we had greens. And then Dilu wanted to make bacon to put on the side to put on like top of both items. And I started dumping out the grease and Reverend was like, no, no. And he literally had me just like take the pan and just dump it into the greens. So I learned so many things about bacon that just in one sitting. It's good for all foods, really. Apparently. <laughs> so listen, bacon is not the topic today. Thanks for coming to uh, our cooking <laughs> podcast. Today we'll be making. Um, I wonder how many people just got hungry, though. Uh, okay, what I want to know to start out today is what is a space you have entered that just stuck with you, good or bad? What's a space that you have walked into that stuck with you Good or bad? So, for me, it's my barber shop. So, All right. the most consistent space for me, outside of my grandma's house, because we moved and as a kid, and I think the most consistent like place outside of my grandma's house was the barber shop. And the barber shop, like 
I can vividly remember as a kid walking in. I've been going to the same barber shop since I was like a kid. So the barbers, like Monty's, like my uncle, the guy who owns the shop, and Troy has been cutting my hair since high school. Like they're they're the homies. And there's a specific like you walk in and there's like the feeling you get because it's like everyone lets their hair down. It's literally like all spaces are not created equal. And this is one that was just, yeah, I feel like, man, there's got to be a Monty shop in heaven. Like, it's just dope. And on the wall, there's a picture. And it said, like, in the back room where I used to get my hair cut by Monty. And it said, like, it's like a drawing. And it's weapons of mass destruction. And it's this dude. And he's, like, surrounded by, like, alcohol and money and, like, all types of other, like, weapons of mass destruction. And it just says that on the bottom. And it's crazy. Years later, like, we started Compass Coffee, and I seen this dude who was drawing, and he had, like, some of his art out on a table. And I met the dude who, like, drew that. Big shout-out to Brother Henry, Big Henry Garden. I'm going to make you listen to this, bro, so you can hear the shout-out. But, yeah, man, it was, yeah, I can, like, remember not only, like, how it made me feel, but now when I walk in, because it's different, like, yeah. 25 years later it's like different but yeah as a kid like the barbershop as a kid like the hot crispy cream donuts that are out like the dudes arguing about sports like i do now when i go in a barbershop just yeah everything that's probably my favorite space do you have that feeling too like you described that picture like when you looked at it as a kid do you look at it and you're like that's interesting but then, like, as you grow up and you think back on it, you're like, whoa, that was actually, like, crazy deep. It was nuts because I seen it again. And I always wondered. I was like, what happened to that picture? And then, like, when I seen it on the table, it, like, hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, oh, snap. Henry's deep. Like, weapons of mass destruction. Oh, snap. Like, this yeah. dude is fire. And then just knowing Henry, like. From being in a coffee shop all the time, I just know that, like, Henry, like, that's who he is. Like, trying to use his art in subversive ways to, like, share important messages. Yeah. I just That's just Henry. So, yeah. That's so deep. cool. Did you get to tell him about that picture? Yeah, yeah. I tell him, like, all the time. Like, I'm like, Henry, like, you're West Side famous, bro. Everybody on the West Side has been looking at that since they were little kids, bro. It's crazy. That's really cool. What do you think, Rob? So this isn't a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my mom is, uh, shout out to my mom. Hey mom, you'll never listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) Big shout out though. Yeah. Um, she is very, she, she is very creative and, uh, she and my dad taught Sunday school growing up. Um, for a lot of different classes, actually. And they're in charge of a whole department at good old Kent Baptist Temple. CBT. Uh, yeah. They would often throw parties, which I hated because it meant that I had to like <laughs> clean everything and like we had to get all sorts of stuff ready. And my mom would like put together these like, uh, like these, I specifically remember like a cowboy themed one. Where they like had to like lasso a pumpkin or something like that, and they 
and they like had cowboy hats and they had like all these crazy games and stuff that went with it and it was very themed um i think we actually had like like a pig roast for that one like part of a pig it wasn't a whole pig because there weren't that many people and it like drove me nuts that we would have these elaborate parties and my mom would always say oh this is just because this is what i like to do this i just like to have fun but it wasn't until really i was married um and it was my wife's birthday and my wife karen likes peter pan a lot uh so i told my mom that and she's like perfect we'll have a peter pan birthday party um so <clears throat> she set up uh all sorts of stuff not as many not not as not even that elaborate but she had like cutouts of Peter Pan and Tinkerbell like on the window and like had a themed cake and like a themed table and everything. And my wife thought it was great. Thought it was fantastic. <laughs> and she's like, it was all, th- she did the whole house Peter Pan themed. And I'm like, no, she didn't. She just did this like little thing and this little thing. Because to me, it was like my house. Like I knew every detail of it. Like I knew all of this stuff. Like I could see, I could see behind the scenes kind of, but like she created the space for Karen specifically that like met her expectations or even exceeded her expectations. And it was, it was that kind of concept I, that like taught me you can make spaces be more than they actually are. Mm. Um, mm. A good example is like here at third street, like our service is held in a gym it's not a nice gem. <laughs> hey. <laughs> no offense. But it's not. You mean our elementary school gymnasium that yeah. was built 100 years ago That's is not good? Yeah. So this is brand new information. <laughs> a little dank, I think, is how I, I describe it. But uh, tell that to everyone who comes in to worship on Sunday. Right. Like, they see something completely different, even though they don't, they don't see the trash. <laughs> They, they don't see the dirt. Like, it becomes a whole new space. And I think it... So, like, to answer your question, I learned that the spaces are a lot about, like, what we want from them and what we bring into them and, like, how we can shape that into into something beautiful. I don't know. That's not, like, one particular instance, but it's, like, how I learned to see spaces for more than they could be. I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly why we brought you in. It wasn't it wasn't for bacon and breakfast. Um it's because Even though, I mean, you if you want to <laughs> set up another one, let's <laughs> Well, I'm actually currently without a kitchen, but you can come over anyway. I mean, I got a kitchen. <laughs> okay. What up? Perfect. <laughs> no, it's your it's your uh what you do with the space that is it, I, like truly and and I, I mean, I'll, I'll stand behind this. It, it is an anointing and a gift that you have is what you bring into and what you do with a space. Um, I mean, case in point, the amount of people who have been a part of your huddle, a part of the small group that met in your previous home will meet in the home that you've moved to uh, that is temporarily kitchenless. I have no doubt in my mind that the atmosphere of that space is going to be exactly the same in your new home. 
because the way that you steward a space and the expectation that you lay is so unique and it's so rare. And so um, talk to us a little bit about that. So what do you uh, what do you specifically do? Like, what is the what is the hidden work that no one else sees that you bring into your huddle when you're filling your living room with people? I feel like that's kind of a trick question um, because it like it hurts me a little bit to hear you say that that's rare because in my mind it, it shouldn't be. I agree. Mm-hmm. I think what I do, like a lot of what I do is just cr- create the avail- availability. I think there are a lot of reasons that people could want a safe space. Um, and I think one of the biggest ones is that our culture is very work centric, like mm-hmm. very, very busy, constantly going and like we we don't have a lot of space for a slowing down and b like almost validation so like when you ask me what i do to create a safe space a lot of that is i open up my doors <laughs> yeah for one thing and allow people to come in and then when they're in there like i listen i listen to them like that's one of the big things and people are hurting. Like everyone's hurting. Life is hard. It sucks. Then you die. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You, everyone wants to find comfort. Everyone wants relief. Like if you give, if given the chance, people will talk about themselves for a long while. And like with a few probing questions, that'll go for even longer. Um, And even though it doesn't seem like much, like it, it makes all the difference, especially to the right people, the people who like for some reason haven't found that. So those are the two big things I can say. I don't know. When you come over, what do you, what do you, what do you feel? What do you, what do you feel or what do you see or what do you like? When I come over to your house? Yeah. Um, probably one of my favorite things is that I can tell when I come over to your house you and Karen both, you are dressed extremely normal. Like, I can tell that you are, you didn't do anything special in order for me to come over. Like, if I were to, like, come over to your house while you were mowing the yard, you would be wearing the same thing as when I come over to have breakfast. And and I mean that in literally the best way, because when you show up to somebody's yeah. house and you see them like dressed, like you can tell that like they super thought about, I'm going to wear this shirt with these pants and these shoes. And actually I'm going to wear shoes in my house. Like you and I both know that I haven't left my house yet, but I put on shoes. Like you're getting ready. You guys are like, come in. This is my life. And this is who I am and like, oh my gosh, what, uh, what was it that was out? That was so funny in your Christmas decorations. Um, uh, Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds, (laughs) you had the Ryan Reynolds, uh, like instead of elf on a shelf, what was it? It was Ryan. I forget what it was. It was so funny. Ryan on an Island. Ryan on an Island. Ryan on an Island. (laughs) 
And I was laughing so hard. Like, you had Ryan on an island out with your Christmas decorations. And I'm like, these are funny people that, like, you you did nothing um, over the top in preparation. But you do go over the top in your hospitality. And it's not in an uncomfortable way. It's so welcoming like i know that i can show up with jamie and if she throws waffles on the floor which she has you're not freaking out you're like oh the robot will get it like don't even worry about it i'm like thank you (laughs) it's that that's a rare space i love it so much that's i'm glad i'm still sad that it's rare though like i i don't know you know what that like something James said earlier when he was like we should have stayed and had more bacon. Like yes, I'm so sure. I know definitively that that was perfectly cooked bacon. It but was. like what I've never heard someone say when leaving like a really fancy restaurant, they say like I want to order that again. What they don't say is like I should have stayed longer. And I think that's like that speaks to the hospitality that goes into what it is that you do. I mean, you went on their retreat. So Corey and James, um, in partnership with Dele, who he's been on the podcast before, they took all of their staff, so third street staff, citizen staff, and 21st century. And they went on this, like, Northeast Ohio tribe retreat. So all of the tribe collective churches that are part of the Northeast Ohio branch all went on this retreat. Rob who is not on staff was also there. <laughs> any there. of the churches was there. And Rob was specifically invited to do um, facilitate games to bring the teams together and to do food. That's how gifted this man is. And I kid you not, from every single person that was on that retreat, when they came back, what they remarked on was Rob. And the way that they, the way that he led the teams through these games, and the the atmosphere mm-hmm. that I, he created. I heard the other podcast where you guys were talking about that game. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, hate, I hate that game. <laughs> I love you, Rob, but it worked. It, it worked. Did. It worked. Yes. Like the point, the point came across like Give loud and clear. Like the moral was, the morals were there in the game, and the fact that I hated it reflects more on <laughs> more on my. My broken nature. <laughs> the game. <laughs> James, give the recap of that game for people who didn't hear that one. So the game basically consisted of we had to be like grouped with someone who like wasn't a part of our group. So that was like the first thing. I feel like if I was with someone from like my team, we could have figured it out. At least most of the people on my team, we could have figured it out. Like, like because we know each other. So the whole idea of the game was there are these ducks that are like on the other side of basically like this obstacle course of just stuff. So there's a bunch of stuff that's in the way of you getting this duck. And basically, uh, what do we have, Rob? Ten teams of people? Yeah, something like that. So we had ten team partner teams. And basically one person like was blindfolded. And you basically had to listen to the voice of the other person. But there are all these other voices, like, so there are all these other people trying to get their person to the duck and get their person not to touch any of the stuff on the obstacle course or you lose. So, man, I feel like every two seconds, like, 
I couldn't hear. I could hear. I didn't know her voice. Like the morals that came through it were just like deeply impactful. But that game was stupid. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I I aim to please. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so Rob, I know that one of your one of the things you are passionate about is creating spaces. Um, yes, for people in general, but also I know something you care deeply about is creating restful processing, um, developmental type spaces for people in church leadership. So talk to me a little bit about that and like why specifically you chose some of that stuff. Uh, yeah, the, I, I, I've been, I've been around the church world (laughs) for a long time. Uh, I've I've worked at church camps. I've worked in, as an intern. I went to a church college. Um, it was a church college, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, I've been to all kinds of different churches for a little bit here and there. Um, and I think what I learned is that we're all people. And as much as we, as much as, uh, shout out to all theology students everywhere. We like to think we're holier than everyone else and slightly closer to God. Uh, we're not. We're just more knowledgeable about how we're not. <laughs> Flat out. <laughs> these so-called theology people, uh, these ministers, these uh, workers in the church, they, like ministry is a, a pretty much a thankless job. Like you can get paid for it. It's probably not yeah. enough. You can get thanks for it. It's probably not enough. And, like, they don't usually do it for those things. They usually do it because they believe in a higher calling, and rightfully so. But, like, that means that they also equate their job with, like, doing good. So if they aren't working really hard, then they, like, tend to think they're not doing good. And so, like, their self-esteem rides on that. And so then they, like, push themselves extra, extra hard. Especially, like, if they have criticism in their lives or if they have their own steady stream of self-doubt or what have you, they will, like, throw themselves extra into ministry. And it's, like, it's why a lot of ministers burn out. It's why a lot of Christian workers, like, suddenly just quit and are not even sure they believe in God anymore. It's because they're just tired. Mm -hmm. Um, They have been working and they like, I'm going to speak in generalities. There are obviously exceptions to all of these, but like so often, like I said, we, we equate our, our good works with our goodness mm. and, and like it, it wears on you. Like suddenly you have to become a Pharisee in order to stay up with the standard you're setting for yourself. Like, and then that just leads to inevitable failure. And then failure equals badness, and I'm a terrible human being. And then rinse, psych, and repeat. Uh, So treating people like humans was once a New Year's Eve goal for me, like a New Year's resolution. I I said, this year, I'm going to start treating people like humans, which is sad that I hadn't started (laughs) before then. But, like, it... It made I, I suddenly saw a difference in like mm-hmm. how I how I treated people and how they responded. Like everyone needs encouragement, everyone needs rest, 
everyone needs to realize they're only human and they can only do so much. And like, even though as Christians, we are mighty warriors of God, we are still frail and tragically human and touched by the sin and all the darkness therein. And while God is great and beautiful and mysterious and holy and can do anything, we are not God, no matter how much we try to be. Um, and we just burn up. So <laughs> I thought, what can I do to help with this problem? I'll make breakfast. Amen. Come on, bro. So that's, I don't know, that's all I could do. Not all I could do. It's a lot of what I could do. <laughs> and like, I'm glad that it's good because otherwise that would suck. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Honestly, though, like sometimes we overcomplicate situations so much that it sounds like it sounds funny and we chuckle when you're like, so what can I do? I made breakfast. Literally John 21. That's what Jesus does. He is resurrected from the dead and then he makes breakfast. Like the chapter before, it's discovered that Jesus has risen. And then you turn the page and Jesus makes breakfast. Like that's what he does. And 1 Kings 19. Oh my gosh, it's like one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 19. Elijah's like, life is so hard. Everyone is dying. Jezebel is evil. She's slaughtered all these people. Why can't I just die? And God sends an angel to be like, why don't you have a nap and a snack? Why don't you rest on this rock? And and here's some bread cooked over a fire. And Elijah takes a nap and then he eats a snack and then repeats right? He has him do it again. He takes another nap. And then God is like, hey, this you're going to need more for this journey. Elijah has a nap and a snack and then realizes life is worth living. Like you say, you say, what can I do? I'm going to make breakfast. And like we giggle, but like it's, it's real. That is such, it's such a real and necessary solution. And we are so much on the grind all the time that like the disciples were out on the water Elijah was running around like raging and dramatic and we don't think to just like stop and relax and breathe and just eat. Another Oh, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead, man. Another interesting point is that both those came after like big victories. Yeah. Like Jesus was just resurrected. Yeah. Like Elijah had just defeated all the false prophets. Yeah. And like those were probably more so draining than some of the defeats they've ever felt. 450 false prophets. Yeah. Like, not even, like, a small amount. Like, his arm was sore from cutting off their heads. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Flat out. Yeah. But, like, that's that's the space that it left him in. Like, I know, uh, like, I've spoken publicly maybe, like, I don't know, two, three, a handful of times. But after every time, like, I have never related more to the passage where Jesus says, I felt the righteousness leave me. When he was when he's touched by the woman and he she was healed, but like he felt it, mm-hmm. he felt it go out, and like after every one of those speaking engagements, I'm like I feel drained, mm-hmm. like, I feel empty, and like I know that with practice that doesn't really go away. That's still mm-hmm. there. Like you you are that vulnerable after pouring out your heart, and you should be because that is you 
giving of yourself. Like that's you giving you giving to all your people, uh, all the people of God, all that God has put on your heart and you have to empty yourself. And that's like what you're called to do. But like, there's that vulnerability and that weakness, I guess. I don't know what else to call it that you, you just feel it. You feel empty. You gotta get filled back up. It's crazy. And to think back at the Gospels and to look back, if you really boil like Jesus's life down into what you find him doing, you could argue that like a third of what we see Jesus doing is simply like creating space and eating with people. Yeah. This dude Jesus was eating with people all the time. Like, especially if you're reading, like, the Gospel of Luke. He's eating with, like, Gentiles, sinners, tax collectors, people who society would look upon and say you shouldn't eat with. Jesus is literally eating with them. Like, he's eating with his disciples. He's eating with Mary and Martha and honoring them as women and, like, being in that space with them. And I think, like, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels is Zacchaeus, and it's for many reasons, like Luke 19. But like in that Zacchaeus passage, what you find is like Zacchaeus, and he climbs the tree. He's a little dude. I told a story to my daughter at night all the time. Zacchaeus was a wee little guy. He was a wee little man, and he climbed the tree because he wanted to see Jesus. But something miraculous happened, Jada. Jesus seen him. And then Zacchaeus came down from the tree because Jesus called out to him. And Zacchaeus has, like, this incredible faith moment from seeing Jesus. He has this incredible transitionary moment where he realizes that he's defrauded and wronged his own people. He realizes it. He stops. He repents. He says, I'm going to give back all of this stuff fourfold. So I'm going to return this back to people. And what's dope is Jesus' response is, Zacchaeus, like, I'm coming to your house to hang out. Like, his response is not like, Zacchaeus, wonderful, go and do likewise, or go and do the same, do this five more times, go do all this stuff. Nah, Jesus is like, nah, like, I'm going to create a space for us to spend time together, and for you to feel even more seen, for you to feel even more loved, and for you to be with me. I think one of the greatest apologetics of the church in our world today, like in a time when We're consumed by social media. We're consumed by our phones, our calendars. Most times are like the primary God of our lives. And we follow those joints to the ends of the earth, like versus following Jesus. Like, I think one of the most countercultural and radical things we can do is simply give people attention in space. It's create spaces where we listen to people, where we author, where we offer authentic and genuine relationship and we just create spaces where people can be seen where people can be seen i know sometimes like i go like i like when i'm at school and i'm teaching like i'm an extrovert but i'm like over extroverted by like the teaching like i'm around i have i'm responsible for 120 kids like all day long and i see them And, like, high school teaching is, like, there's a lot of babysitting involved in it. So, like, I'm babysitting, I'm hand-holding, like, all day. But the moments of transformation that I see most, like, in students is when I say, like, hey, let's have lunch. I sit across from them at lunch, 
And no matter what I thought about them previously, I learned something new about them. And the space is a bridge for connection. I feel like connection is a bridge for relationship. Like, I'm able to understand them. I'm able to, like, learn about them. I'm able to gain context into their lives. And I say, oh, that's why. And with that context, I'm able to have, like, grace. And it just creates this situation that wouldn't have happened if, like, that space wasn't created. And I think that space simply, like, presents itself as just one of the, man, it's one of the great gifts and one of the apologetics of, like, the life of Jesus. Talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus as we should. As we should. As Paul says, if there's no resurrection, we're wasting our time. But the life of Jesus is also a part of the gospel. And us finding ourselves in that narrative, I think, is imperative to living kingdom lives. And I I wasn't there, but I can almost guarantee that Jesus wasn't sitting across from Zacchaeus with like high pressure tactics. Like, right. I think you really need to give all that money back. What do you think, Zacchaeus? <laughs> what, what, I think you should. This is who you should give that money to. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I have a list right here of perfect candidates for yeah. that money. Yeah. No, I like, I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus didn't bring it up at all. Yep. Flat like, out. If, like, people know when they're doing wrong. Like, it's not, it's not hard to figure out. Like, there are, there are occasions where like people need to be retaught how to live. But like for the most part, people know when they're doing wrong and they they usually don't even really want to do it. They're just doing it because they think they need to for some reason or another. Um, because that is that is a lie. Like we we are eager to like become something more than we're supposed to, like Eve or I I don't know. It's <clears throat> so when presented with like a healthier option, like there's a solid chance. It's not, it's definitely not every time, but there's a solid chance that we will take that because we want, we want light in our darkness. Like we don't, we don't want to hurt anymore. And we know that this stuff makes us hurt. Um, again, that's not every time. Like there are times where like, it's a real grapple, but like that we want to have goodness in our lives as much as we can. Like sometimes that requires more sacrifice than we're able to think about it. Like I'm sure Zacchaeus probably wasn't like, well, here's how this is going to affect me the rest of my life. I think he felt the prompting of something inside of him and just followed it out and then dealt with the consequences later, which I think Jesus honored in him. But like, yeah, it's, it's just allowing people to be in the light, to sit in the light. And then they'll they'll want it to come after it. That's one thing I love about the gospel is that I don't have to convince anyone of the gospel. Like I just have to show that the light exists and allow the light to call to them, allow the spirit to draw them in. So I don't save people, Jesus does, like the Black spirit does. Out. It's a word. And it's like it's so relieving to me <laughs> because mm-hmm. like I feel like I feel like that's why people like are scared to to like host a huddle or something. They think they need like great spiritual insight to like everybody's lives and like have the answers to be like, here's where you're going wrong and here's how you should do it. Right. According to Jesus and hesitations, three nineteen. Um, <laughs> but like really they just need a place where they can come and sit in the light because the rest of the world is dark. Mm-hmm. And like, this is a, just creating like a space where, 
they can cry and it's okay. They can have emotions. It's okay. They can be angry. It's okay. Um, or they can do none of the above. They can simply enjoy breakfast. Like I think, uh, that's probably one of the things I would say about creating spaces is that you don't put any expectations on it. Um, you don't like as met. I know that there are people who come into my house with a lot of problems and I know some of their problems and I know how to fix some of their problems, but like, it's not my problem. So like, I can't control them, nor should I, I, I don't even want to do that because again, I'm not Jesus. Like I can offer them advice if they're after it, but like they have to find their way. They have to listen to the spirit inside them and get that conviction, get that calling, get that truth. And while again, I will present truth in everything I do as best as I can, but I like, I don't need a pressure tactic them into changing who they are, nor do I need to be able to read minds like they, I don't know, that space will often do a lot of that work for you. And then you just have to be there. Yeah. Oh, that's a good statement. Yeah. So as citizens, like, we have villages, much like huddles. And our village has been on, like, this journey, like, over the course of, like, the last uh, two and a half years, like, since COVID hit. So, like, when COVID hit, like, yeah. We just, like, went to everything online, pretty much. Like, most people. Like, yeah. We got Zoomed out. We're doing, like, village Zoom calls. We've been, like, slowly reintroducing, like, all the rhythms of our village. And, like, by God's grace, it's just, it got stronger during that season. And, like, it grew and it's healthier. It's just such a cool and beautiful, like, space and environment. So a part of, like, what we do is we, like, try to have these family dinners, like, monthly where we all just come together. It's, like, a high invitation space. Like, it's unstructured. It's just, like, come. We're all going to bring something. Like, we'll have dinner together. We're just going to spend time together. Great space to invite somebody to just see what the family of God is like together. So we've been trying to figure out, like, what to do for, like, that aspect because like people are in, so we're like, we need to like do something. So we're talking, me and my wife and Skylar, and we go, all right, we're gonna have a family dinner. So we're like, where do we do it at? And it just came down to a point where we're like, we'll just do it at our house. Well, we put in like our group me, like, hey, who's coming? And like a bunch of people said they were coming, and then like a bunch of people text us and they were like, hey like the night before and they're like hey we're coming too so we're like man like our house is not big enough to like fit all these people they're gonna feel cramped like it's gonna be a bad time but legit it was such a good time and like i don't feel like anyone felt cramped and there was a bunch of kids running around and it was awesome and it just like happened and i think what god was teaching us in that moment was like God is not looking for us to be experts. He's not looking for us to be perfect. He's looking for us to just be present and available. Mm -hmm. Like our house probably wasn't like the most ideal for that space, but we were open and available and present. And God just continued to like build a forge and bond in that space. 
And I think sometimes what like holds me back from like a more radical hospitality is the fact that I'm like, man, like I'm not a counselor. So if like these folks come in here and start like dropping stuff, like I'm just, uh, I'm just listening and pray for them afterwards. But in all reality, that's what people are looking for. They're looking for spaces to be listened to. They don't need people to answer their questions. Mm -hmm. They just need people to be present. And when we're present as Christians, like you said, man, like the Holy Spirit is doing its work. Like we don't save anyone. We don't solve anyone's problems, but we're vessels and we're present. And when we're present, man, the Holy Spirit is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. I think one of the things I had to learn growing up, I really, I really wanted to be smart. I, wa- I was wanted to be like one of the smarter kids in the room. Um, I wasn't very good at sports, so that wasn't going to do it. <laughs> uh, but like, I learned that being clever, being smart, doesn't really do a whole lot for you. Uh, like it see, like it helps you see all the problems, but it just creates new problems. Um, I, like obviously good example of that is Solomon. Like he was smart. Yeah. But like, how did that help his spiritual life? It didn't. He had a thousand wives. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> so like being smart, I, when I worked with high schoolers, I told them this all the time. Being smart doesn't get you anywhere in life, but being kind sure does. And anyone can be kind. Like, don't worry about like how strong you are or like what jobs you get, what degrees, like going into college. Don't worry about any of that. Just be kind to whoever you're with and wherever you go. And like, people will always open up to you. People will like respect you. Like there's so much meanness and just like backstabbing in the world. I, I worked at honey baked ham for a while. Bless up. Yes. I was that the guy. bread. Where's that bread from? The bread. Uh, I think we just get it frozen. I don't, I want to tell you this. How do they make that bread that good? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Jesus must be unthawing that bread. Goodness. But yeah, I was in the back. I was the guy who uh, sugared your ham and then melted it with a big blowtorch, put spices all over it. <clears throat> um, I had a coworker. She started off in high school. And like I didn't do anything in particular nice to her. I was just friendly. That was it. And she like invited me to her graduation. She invited me. She like kept in touch after she went to college in Columbus. And like, I'm like, this is great. I'm really happy for you. I'm happy. You're like, you're going through life. Why are you still talking to me? (laughs) But apparently I'm like one of the only people who ever like showed her a shred of dignity and life. And it like blew my mind that like, like I'm, she had difficult things in her life, but like really no one else like is is kindness that few and far between and it broke my heart for her but for everyone in the world like where 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 are my christians at you know where where is the love of god to to all these people and she i don't know she like she still keeps in touch she tries to meet up once a year and tell me about her life and again i think it's because i'm one of the only people in her life who actually sits and listens and her life is messed up <laughs> Like she's still making bad decisions out there, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I know that I just made space for her and she, she did all the work. 
So listen, as we wrap up today, um, Rob, first of all, thank you for the many meals, but also just for being with us today for the, um, the amount of thought that you put into everything that you do. And I, and I know that you say things as if it's like so flippant, like, well, I just opened my house, but, but it, it's thoughtful and you see the need, like you saw the need in all of these spaces and you said, Hey, I'm willing and I'm able. And those are two things that, that a lot of people have a hard time saying I'm willing and I'm able. And, you know, when you and James are both just talking about what it is that you do between citizens and opening your house and with your huddle and going to uh, going to the development spaces that you went to, like for our network. And what I hear you guys saying um, across the board is don't try to fix people's problems. Just fix them a meal. Like, well, don't. don't try to tell them what it is that they need to do. Just open the space, be available and just listen. You know, we overcomplicate things so much, but that's the common thread that I hear across everything that you guys are saying. And so for anybody who's listening in on this episode, I hope that you hear that. I hope that you hear that you are capable. You can open whatever space that it is that you have whether it's in the back uh in the back room glazing hams like maybe you're maybe you're uh cook line like maybe you're on the cook line at a restaurant or or your server or whatever or you've got an apartment you got a home um you you you're an uber driver you're opening a space when you're an uber driver um whatever space it is that you have you don't have to overcomplicate that you just have to listen and you just have to be open enough as a person. Open your, open up your mind and your heart to the person that God has placed in that space with you. And it can be all the difference. All right. We'll be back in two weeks. Bless up. Bless up. <laughs>